Hey, welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Thank you, Benjamin. You know, I've got a new push bike. I've got a picture of it up on the screen there. And uh, it's got no pedals. But uh, who needs pedals when you've got freedom? And uh, we're talking, hashtag, who are we talking? We're talking about freedom this month. And, and it's amazing what we will do to find freedom. It's amazing what we think freedom is in. And, uh, you know, like my dream, uh, we think freedom is in a moment don't we? We go, I've got to get as much out of this moment as possible. I've got to get, you know, I I need to be able to to see what everyone else is doing, you know, until maybe my phone will last longer than everyone else's and I can be the last person to, to, um, you know, tweet how I'm doing on the planet. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being that person? What what an amazing privilege that would be. Unbelievable. Now, last week we talked a little bit about the tension of freedom because freedom is very much a thing of perspective. And, uh, and you know, we talked about the, the managing the tension. It's a very small word, but it carries a lot of weight, that word, doesn't it? You know, we, we think about the tension between the freedom of speech and the freedom from hate speech. Freedom of speech for one person is hate speech to another person. We talked about living a self-determined life, the freedom of doing whatever you want, to the freedom of living in community, which requires you to give up some of your own self-determination. We talked about, you know, the difference between um, living under the freedom of the law of the government and living under the the commands of Christ. You know what I mean? There's these tensions to manage, isn't there? We talked about uh, the the liberties of being a citizen versus the, the, the freedoms of being a visitor. If you're an Australian citizen, you have more freedoms than, than someone who is a, a visitor to, to Australia. If you're, and then bring in the consideration that you are citizens of heaven. So what does that make you here on earth? So there's all these different tensions, the difference between living in the moment and creating an inheritance. They're different liberties, aren't they? One's creating a liberty of a moment for you and one's creating a liberty of a platform for a generation to come. What about the, the, the difference between feeling peaceful and being on mission? Both of those two things, you know, there's, there's freedoms in both because one of them you feel free, you feel safe, you feel protected, and the other one you create those things for someone else by, by, by sacrificing your own freedom. It's a difficult word, isn't it, that carries a lot of weight. Viktor Frankl says this, everything can be taken from a man but one thing the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. And he was, uh, he was saying that about living in the, the Nazi war camps in World War II. Talked about the types of, the top 10 fears of humanity, which included losing control, pain, disappointment, loneliness. We fear ridicule, we feel rejection, we feel failure. We unpacked some of those. Uh, so if you want to know a little bit more about those, you can, you can uh, get the podcast of last week. We, talk, we went through Galatians 5. I just want to kind of build a bit of a platform for you of, so, we can, so we can bounce off it today. Galatians 5.1 says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 
We unpacked that. We talked about being standing fast, being with all diligence, keeping focused, you know, and on what? What are you defending? Whose liberty, whose rights are you defending? You know, we on the liberty that Christ gave us. We need to know what, what liberty we're standing for. Is it my liberty or is it the liberty that Christ brings? And what is that liberty of Christ? Is it, is it, the, is it free to do whatever I want, whenever I want? No, it's not. It's, it's, a, it's bigger than that. We're not, we're not f- free from temptation, but we're free from guilt and shame. We're not free from the works. We're free from the works of the law, but not obedience to Christ. And who made us free? Christ. The source of that freedom. We cannot earn it by any merit, by any righteous act. Christ ransomed our freedom. And then it says, do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So here's the thing. Any action done in order to accept, to gain acceptance from God or to obtain his favour is a yoke of bondage. Any action, any works that you do in the effort of gaining favour from God is actually going to cause you bondage in the future. So the statement is when the tools of freedom become shackles, we look for other liberties. We look for things on earth to bring us free. We look for moment. Freedoms of the moment, not freedoms that are, that are monumental for generations to come. Okay, so last week we spoke of that. The key, key statement of last week that I want to, want to bounce off is this one. That any action done in order for acceptance with God and to obtain his favour is a yoke of bondage. Because I don't, want to, I don't want to let you off the hook to do nothing for the rest of your lives. I want you to be people who, who are hungry and thirsty to see God's goodness be released to humanity. So I want to, I want to, give you, uh, I want to introduce you to the, the two different levels of the freedom that we can have through salvation. The first one is being set free. You see, Christ set us free. And then the second one is living free. Who knows, you can be set free. You can be free. You can, someone can set you free. Someone can let you out of prison, but you can still live like a prisoner. You can be free from the law of sin and death, but still feel guilt and shame and doubt and unbelief every day of your life, even though you've been set free. Christ has set you free, yet you're not living free. So I want to encourage you this morning that, you know, that being set free has given us this free gift of eternal life. Yet living free comes from this daily following of him. Why don't you turn your Bibles to John chapter 8, starting from verse 31. We know this scripture very well. It gets quoted in all over the world. But let's unpack a little bit this morning, before and after. Verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 33. They answered him, but we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin 
is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, verse 36, therefore if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's unpack that a little bit this morning. You know, in the King James Version it says, in the New King it says, if you abide in my word. In the Old King James says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. If you think about those words, if you, if you abide, if you continue, if you hold fast, if you, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, it's, it's an intention, isn't it? Ben talked about our generosity, about being intentional this morning, and, and, and Christ is saying, if you're intentionally living, if you're intentionally abiding, if you're intentionally continuing each and every day in my word, then you'll be my disciples indeed. What about word? You know, there's, there's two types of word in the Bible. One's logos and one's uh, rhema. And, you know, the, this one is the word logos, which is talking about, it's talking about the, the reasons of Christ. It's talking about the, the, the commands of Christ. It's talking about um, us being, you know, it, it refers to us being students of what he has already said and the lifestyle that he's called us to live. And then the rhema word is the other one, which is where he, he, he reveals his word to us in the moment so that we can know what to do at the right time, at the right place. But here he's talking about the Logos word. And, you know, it's, it's Christ's already declared reason or teaching. So if you continue, if you hold fast to my principles, if you hold fast to my commands, to my teachings in the word, then you will be my disciples indeed then you will be my disciples, then you'll be my pupils, then you'll be my students, my followers. You see, we can say that we're followers of Christ, but the reality of our discipleship is found in our continually holding fast to his principles, to his teachings, and our aim to continue in those, to live according to those teachings. See, Jesus, he's talking to those people who believe, but we know from what he's saying that they're not necessarily overly confident in what they believe. There, there's a whole, these Jesus teach, speaking to a, a Jewish bunch of people, and he, he first he gives a bit of a hard time to the Pharisees, and then he swings over and he talks to those people who are new believers who don't know, and he's saying, if you truly want to be my disciple, then abide, then continue in my teachings, then continue in these things, continue in my word. Then you'll be my disciple indeed. You know, and how long do we do this? You know how you go through these moments and these times of life when you're, you're kind of hot? You're hot in your faith. You know, you're in his word every day and then you, and then you go through these other times when you're, when you're in the, in the, um, on the outskirts hey, and you're, you're, you're not necessarily in his word very often. You're not necessarily praying very often. You're not... You're not as focused as you have been and you kind of ebb and flow and you're up and down in your intention and in your, in your following closely of Christ. But he's saying, abide. He's saying, live in my word. And it's not necessarily about living in here because they didn't actually have the commands of Christ back then. When he was speaking to them, he's talking about the principles that he's been sharing with them, about the commands, about, about loving your neighbor, about blessing those who curse you and loving your enemy and, and all these different things. He's saying, abide in the principles that I've given you, abide in the reasons that I have given you for living, then you will be my disciple. And we abide in them 
from now until the, until the end of our lives. A great example of this is our, is our homes. I don't know about you, but if I've had a big day and I come home and I hit the couch, it's just a beautiful thing. Just for that moment, isn't it? You kind of, you get home, you hit it, and you, you just go, I'm, I'm home. I'm at rest. I'm at peace. You know, just for that, those few moments until someone screams or something goes on and you've got to take the rubbish out or do whatever you've got to do. But just for that little moment, you know it's a place of rest and it's a place of refuge. You know, there's work to do at home, but it's still a place of refuge for you. And he wants his word to be like that for us. He wants us, you know, when we're, when we're tired and when we're weary, he wants us to, to just go back and rest in his word. I think one of the battles that we've faced as believers over the years is we feel like we need to understand and know and interpret every piece of scripture. That's, what, that's our relationship with the word. But sometimes I think that he wants us just to read the word. Don't try and understand it. Don't try and interpret it. Just read the word. Just abide in his word. Just continue in his word and then allow his word to influence you instead of you trying to always interpret it. Because there's a burden on you to interpret all the time. There's a burden on you to explain. And then, so then when we pick up the Bible, we feel the burden of work. Oh, we've got to do a study. We've got to do a Bible study. You know what I mean? Which is a good thing to do, but sometimes you need to just read a psalm and allow it just to wash over you. Sometimes we just need to read this gospel of, of, of Luke or Mark or, or the other two. And Matthew and John, they always get all the credit, I reckon. Read Luke and Mark for us. Let's give those guys a bit of, give a bit of love. Let's, we can read the gospel and just spend time with Christ. You know, I love reading autobiographies because I feel like I'm getting to know the person. I feel like I'm, 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 as I read it, I'm getting to know the person. Well, we've got, you know, four different authors of the biography of Christ that we get to get to know him. Don't try to interpret it. Don't try to decide what you've got to do based on it. Just read it and allow his word to do its work on you. There's a time for study, but I want to challenge you to abide in his word. Just live in it. When you go home and you sit on the couch, when you go home and, and spend time with your family, you're not always trying to interpret everything. Sometimes if you're married, you're trying to interpret what your wife's saying to you. When she says, no, don't buy me a birthday present, you've got to, got to read into those a bit deeper. But most of the time, it's just about living with each other, isn't it? It's about, it's about spending time. It's about being in that place of rest where, where, where there's, there's, a, there's love and a nurture without actually having to do anything. Because the source of our freedom is found in our place of rest and refuge, where we live most regularly. So ask yourself the question, spiritually, where do you live most regularly? Where do you live most regularly? I love, Dan- I love the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was... Um, he was one of the captives of, 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 um, Israel, of the Israelites into, the, into, the nation, into Babylon. And he was one of the, uh, uh, the... He worked with the, with the captain of the eunuchs and he advised uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar. He served him, did all these different things. So he lived in a place that was godless. 
He lived in a place that was godless. But three times every day, morning, noon and night, he would set aside some time so that he could pray. So that no matter where he lived, no matter what he was walking through, no matter who he was asked to serve, no matter who he was asked to bow down to in the natural, he said, my place of rest and my place of refuge, no one's going to touch. Because that's where I draw from. That's where, that's where God washes over me. That's where I receive from him. That's where I get to know him. It's my place of refuge and I am going to continue in his word. I'm going to continue according to his ways. So we will, we will be his disciples. If we abide, if we continue in his word, we will be his disciples indeed, it says. What about, so what, what's the big deal about being a disciple? You know, there's some privileges of being a disciple. It sounds, sometimes it sounds a little bit like hard work, discipleship. When you get saved, you've got to go through the discipleship course. And, you know, and it all sounds like a bit of a burden sometimes. But there's some amazing privileges to being a disciple. And the first privilege of being a disciple is this. You shall know the truth. See, for the rest of the world, the truth is out there somewhere. It's out there somewhere. But if you are a disciple, if you abide in his word, you will, you shall know the truth. Knowing the truth is significant for everybody's life. It's significant for everybody's life. And he says, if you are my disciple, you will know the truth. What truth will you know? You will know all of the truth which is needed and profitable for you right at that time. You know, I've got a, uh, a creepy crawly in my pool. And uh, when kids come over to our place, it scares the, the living whatever out of them. It scares these kids, this little thing that just goes whoop, whoop, whoop and just sucks up leaves, you know. And it scares these kids. But then as the kids grow up, they discover the truth, that they've got more power than the creepy crawly. And it may make a funny noise and it may move around the pool weirdly by itself without anyone touching it, but it cannot harm them. They know the truth and then they start using it to inflict pain on other people. (laughs) Because now they're free, but they know everyone else isn't free, so they start using it to cause the inflict um, pain on them. Because truth is the beginning of freedom. And we know that because the second privilege of being a disciple, being a follower, being a pupil or a student of the reason or the commands of Christ, the second privilege of being a disciple is that the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. These are the two most amazing privileges that you can experience in life because when you know the truth you are not bothered by any lie you're not bothered by what any person speaks over you the lies of the enemy become um, obvious because you know you know the truth of God and when you know that truth you're free you're absolutely free that anything that's outside of the truth cannot touch you Here's the process. How do we do it? First, it starts with desire. We've got to desire Christ's freedom. 
Second, you put your faith in him, the giver of that freedom. Third, you continue to discover and apply his teachings to your life. Fourth, you begin to see things from a new perspective. You discover truth. And fifth, you start living in a new freedom. This is the process of becoming free. You see, it always starts with desire. We've actually got to desire something before we'll commit to it. We've got to desire a relationship with someone before we'll get into a commitment, a lifelong commitment with that person. So we've got to desire the liberty of Christ before we ask for a relationship with Christ. We need to desire eternal life before we ask Christ as to be our saviour or put our trust and our hope in him. And then once we put our trust in him, then we actually start trusting him and living according to what he has asked us to do. You know what it's like when you, when you want to get healthy and you go to your naturopath and uh, they tell you to eat this and drink that and pop this pill and have that powder in your green smoothie and do all this sort of stuff. And, and you need to trust them that this horribly disgusting drink that you've got to drink every day is actually going to do you good. And then maybe down the track, you start to enjoy the flavour of it. You know, if I, if I have gone two days without a green smoothie, I'm, you know, I'm starting to scratch because I, I, I need to get some of that good greenness in me. I need to deal with some of the acid that I've been feeding into my body the last few days and I need to just cleanse it with a nice alkaline cucumber or something like that. See, we, our spirit lives are the same. Sometimes we need to, after we've desired his freedom, then we actually need to trust him that his pathway to living in freedom is the way to go. You see, we want his eternal life, yet the battle that we face then is, but we want to choose the pathway to living in freedom on earth. Right, Lord, I'll take your eternal life, but you know, I, I'm gonna, I've got to stay focused on, on my level of freedom here on earth. And he's saying, look, if you're going to trust me with your eternal life, you know, why don't you also trust me with these 70 years that you've got on the planet? Why do you want to spend eternal life with me if you don't want to spend 70 years here with me? It starts with desire. Second, you put your faith in him. It's a leap of faith based on a desired hope. Third, we continue to discover and apply his teachings. We we entertain his reasoning. You know, the, the way, that we, the way that, we, um, that we walk this journey is that we begin to entertain what he's saying. Isn't it interesting that we entertain people in our homes? We have someone over for dinner, we call it entertaining. I'm entertaining a few guests this week and we don't necessarily know those guests very well. Sometimes you entertain people that you haven't really met before and you'll entertain those guys and as you do that, you'll just get to know them and to discover what they're about and you'll get to walk on the journey of life with them and, and, and then it, the relationship continues. You see, for us to, to apply his teachings, we need to entertain his teachings. We need to allow them to speak to us. We need to read his gospel. We need to, we need to, to see what Jesus is saying. We need to look at those, the red sections of the of the um the gospels and go lord what did you say what were you saying to us back then what were you doing and how are you explaining it we need to get that sermon on the mount and we need to let let 
that amazing mess preached that Jesus gave, allow that to wash over our souls. Don't try to explain it. Don't try to, to unpack it in terms of modern day and age because it'll, it'll cause this conflict in your mind. Just allow it to speak to you. Don't try to change. Just live in it. Don't try to... You know, it's like when you, when, when you ladies um, see a man and you go, I can turn that man into the perfect husband. You know, and then you get him home and he does, hasn't moved for 45 years. It's not about trying to change. It's not about trying to change yourself. It's not trying about trying to change yourself. It's about allowing his word to do business in your heart and allowing his spirit to change you. Fourth, you begin to see things from a new perspective. You begin to see truth. When you look at someone who, who, has, who, who, is, who has offended you, when you look at someone who, who lives a life that you would like, a life like theirs, when, you, when you, you look at someone, you see truth. You begin to see that this person was created in the image of God and there is gold in them. No matter what they're expressing with their mouth, no matter what they're writing, no matter how they're performing, no matter what they are doing technically, you see the truth in their hearts. And you don't see that overnight. You see that after you've had a desire to follow him. Followed up by a commitment to do life with him. Followed up by abiding or continuing in his word and in his teachings. And then all of a sudden, the last two, they just happen. You will know the truth. You know, it's like when you're desperately looking for something and you can't find it. And then when you just relax, there it is. When we relax in him, when we rest in him, when we don't try to decide how the Bible fits in the modern world, when we just read the Bible and allow it to speak to our hearts, all of a sudden, when we're in that space, when we're in that argument, when we're in that challenging situation, we see truth. We can't explain it, but we see it. And the fifth thing is, you start to live in a new freedom. It's called autopilot. I've got, um, in, my, in my car, I've got automatic window washers. And they just, when it rains, poof, they just turn on. I never have to turn them on. Every now and then they just turn on anyway, even when it's dry. Bug hits the screen, poof, and that wipes it off for me. Or smears it over the screen for me, one or the other. The question is, the, the great measuring tool of your liberty is what's your auto response look like? You're driving down the highway and you see a police officer. Is your auto response to look down at your speedo to see if you're speeding? Or is your auto response just to just go, hey, thank you, officer. Thank you for your service. You see, the greatest measure of freedom is what is your response to authority? What is your response to your parents? What is your response to your government? What is your response to authority? Because that's the area that touches our thoughts of not being free. Did you notice how Daniel, he set aside time living in Babylon because he knew that it didn't matter where he lived, didn't matter how evil the king was, he was free because he was in relationship with the king of all kings. What is your auto-response? 
I know, if I, I know I'm not free in the areas that I react. Hey, I know I'm not free when you say something and it stirs my heart in the wrong direction. I know I'm not free in that area. I know I need to go and abide. I know I need to go and continue in relationship with Christ so that he can do a work in my heart so that I can be even more free. The freedom we gain from knowing his truth, it actually restores our free will. You ever notice how all your friends outside of the church actually seem like they're having a better time sometimes. They actually seem freer than you do. They seem like they've kind of, you know, the reality is there is only one freedom and it's in him. Any other type of freedom is actually fleeting. Someone can look free in a moment, but unless you're eternally free, you're not free. And we don't actually understand freedom until it appears to us until it's actually on autopilot. We can see it. We can read it in the Word. We can see it in other people. You, you, you know, you can see that person who, no matter what happens to them, they just stay cool, don't they? You know that person who's just always kind of got it together? They, nothing kind of disrupts them. And you go, I see it in that person. I read it in the Word, but my heart is constantly doing backflips. And God's saying, hey, where's your rest? Where's your place of refuge? Where are you, where are you getting... Uh, centered in your faith where are you getting where where are you going where are you abiding see where you live is where you gain your energy you go home you work during the day and then you go home at night and you regain energy for the next day's work spiritually you don't regain energy from your home spiritually you regain energy from continuing in his word by continuing in prayer by continuing to gather with other believers. And when we, when, we, when we have our free will back, we get to see what is truly good and what is truly beautiful. See, what happens in life is we get distracted by the perception of good and the perception of beauty. And God's saying, if you'll align your life with me, you will see true beauty. You will see true good. people said to Jesus but we're descendants of Abraham and have never been in bondage most people on the planet don't realise they're not free I mean they they don't realise that they are don't have eternal life, they don't realise that it's even an issue The, the, the Jews back then they were saying to Jesus look we're sons of, we're the descendants of Abraham nothing has ever put us in bondage we're, we are already free and Jesus says this, whoever commits a sin, though he may be Abraham's seed was never in, and was never in bondage to any man, is the servant of sin. And who boasts, and I say it to you, who boast of your relation to Abraham as if it would save you. No works, no birth, no efforts, no status can actually give you freedom. Only Christ can give you freedom. He says, whoever commits sin is the servant of sin. See, you're not going to get through the rest of your life without sinning, unfortunately. So when he says, whoever commits sin, he's saying, it's like if we commit our life to Christ, we're in Christ. If we commit our life to sin, if we commit sin, 
then we are a slave to sin. So you're, just, you're going to still make mistakes for the rest of your life. You're going to still disobey in, in areas of your life, but you don't commit to it. You commit to Christ. You see, we become under the authority of what we're committed to. So if we commit to the ways of God, Jesus says, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do things that I have commanded you. When we commit ourselves to do life his way, we get to experience his freedom. We become under his authority, which is where the true liberty is found, which is where we start to see the truth and where we get to walk in freedom. Here's the clincher. Verse 35 says, These slaves don't live in the house forever, but a son does. Servants work for a payment. Sons work because they're part owners, because the inheritance is already theirs. It's already yours. I love what the the father of the prodigal son says to his other son. He says, what are you complaining about? All that I have, it's already yours. So you're not actually working for a payment. You're actually working because it's part of the family's business. It's part of what you already own. If we come to try and serve our way into the kingdom of God, if we kind of come and serve our way into salvation, we won't gain salvation. We'll help everybody out, but we won't actually gain salvation. He's saying, serve because it's part of your heart. It's part of your vision. It's part of your inheritance. Not to try and gain anything, but to be, just to be part of your family. That's what families do. They support each other. They lift each other up. They... they, they pull the weeds out, they, they grow the fruit and veg, they harvest, they do all the things that they can do because they're part of a family, not to try and earn favour. Why doesn't the band jump up? Like we said at the start, we can accept his adoption as sons, yet still be unaware of what it is to live free. I believe that the, the, there's a challenge on our table this month to create a new desire for the liberty of Christ, to discover the freedom that Christ is talking about, to discover the truth and walk in that truth. Why don't you stand with me this morning? You see, there's a perceived liberty outside of Christ but it's fleeting at best. In fact, the freedoms of the world are just shadows of freedom. And the final verse says this, it says, those whom Christ makes free, they are free indeed. You see, there's people say, I am free, but Jesus says, no, no, you will be free indeed. You see, we have a perception of freedom, but God's saying, there is only one true freedom, The word indeed talks about, it's about being certain, it's about being clean, it's about, you know, it's about freedom of understanding. It's about, it's about beyond perception, but reality. We gain a perception of freedom when we're on holiday. We gain a perception of freedom when we have money in the bank. We gain a perception of freedom when we live in a democracy. We have perceptions of freedom, but he says, only if the sun sets you free, are you truly free indeed. Ask yourself this question this morning. Where are you 
on the journey of the free person? Are you just in desire? Are you in desire mode? Are you, are you, are you discovering what Christ is all about? Are you discovering that what liberty he's actually offering? Are you discovering what eternal life is? Or yet, are you at the point of life where you want to put your trust in him? You want to give your life to him? Or you're at the point in life where you're abiding in his word, when you're continuing in his gospel, in his truth, in his commands, in his reason, in his way of life, are you there? Or are you starting to experience seeing truth, seeing things differently? Or have you all the way through now and are you walking in liberty? You're actually on autopilot. You know, when the, when the rain comes, the wipers automatically turn on. You don't have to think about it. You know, in the early days when, you, when something comes up, you go, oh, I've got to find out the scripture. I've got to talk to one of my brothers. I've got to figure out what to do here. But the more you abide in his word, the more in that moment you know exactly what to do. You know exactly how to love. You know exactly what to say because you are absolutely free walking in his absolute truth. Before we sing this morning, I just want everyone to bow their head and close their eyes because there's some of you in the house this morning that are walking through desire. You've, you've been seeking, what is this liberty of Christ? What is this eternal life? What is that? And today is an opportunity for you to go to the next level of your relationship, for you to accept Christ as your saviour and for you to put your faith and your trust in him. If that's you this morning, why don't you raise your hand? If that's you, if you'd like to know Christ as your saviour, why don't you raise your hand? Thank you, I see that hand right there. If today's the day that you want to step into that relationship with him, if you want to go beyond desire and into a place of real relationship where you get to begin to continue in his ways and in his, in his goodness and end up in that place of knowing the truth and walking in freedom, why don't you raise your hand this morning? All right, we're going to pray now. We're going to pray for this gentleman here who's raised his hand this morning. And as I pray, I'd love it if everyone would repeat the prayer after me. And stand with their brother as we reaffirm our faith. Father in heaven, we thank you for your liberty. We thank you for eternal life. Today, I want to make a decision to put my trust in you. I confess that you are my Lord and Savior. And I believe that your son was raised from the dead for me and my family and my children and my children's children. I repent, Lord, of everything that I have done up to this point in selfishness. And I give you my life from this day forward. Thank you, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. And they all said together, Amen.